0: You need Indeed. Hello and welcome
1: to the Field of 68's Big East Conference Preview. I'm Rob Doster and with me I have two of the smartest Big East basketball minds around. The one and only John Fanta joins us and of course we are joined by Fox Sports 1's Nick Ba, the Creighton legend if I do say so. So what's going on gentlemen? How are we doing here?
2: Doing great. I mean, we're getting close to hoops. I'm feeling fantastic, man. It's uh, it's a, it's the exciting time of year where everybody's got hope, and it's just it's I'm, I'm doing fantastic right
3: now. Yeah, ready to roll. I mean, I'll tell you what, it's just going to be terrific. You bring up Creighton, and you know what that that makes me think of. It makes me think of Friday night, December seventeenth when the Villanova Wildcats are going to come to Omaha to take on the Creighton Blue Jays, and just that atmosphere. I mean, last year there were some fans at Creighton home games, but my goodness, uh, for that to be the Big East Conference opener, uh, a young Creighton team, but, but welcoming in Villanova, the two programs that made you the second weekend of the tournament last year, that'll be a lot of fun. This league, it, it, you could argue that other leagues might be uh, better, um, or, or you could make that argument, you could make that take, whether it's the SEC, Big Ten, but in terms of the Big East, that double round Robin schedule, Rob, it, it is really, really a blast to journey through as Nick well knows.
1: Yeah, there's there's nothing better than the leagues where you get every team playing a home and home. Um, so that's, uh, that's pretty great about the Big East. You mentioned Villanova, Fenton. I, I, we're going to get into power rankings, and we're going to get into player uh, of the year and first team all-conference and all that kind of good stuff at the end. But I do want to talk about some of the bigger storylines in the conference at first. And for me, the biggest storyline in the Big East this season is Villanova and what they're going to end up being. My take, it might be a hot take, I don't know, is that Villanova is a little bit overrated as a top five team. Uh, I thought that they kind of struggled last year. They lost their best player in Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and now we're expecting them to get better this season. I I don't know. I just don't see it. Nick, where do you stand on Villanova this year?
2: Well, I think – they can be the they're on top of the Big East. I mean, I think by everybody's estimation, they're going to be the the preseason favorites. But I, I can I can see where you're coming from when you zoom out from a national perspective. Are they a top bona fide top five preseason Final Four caliber team? That remains to be seen. But I, mean, I think you pointed out Jeremiah Robinson Earl. That dude did so much for them. He was the it, it, in a roster full of guards and very perimeter oriented. He was the one dude that could rebound he could defend the rim he could guard multiple positions inside it's tough to play small ball unless you got that versatile big that can switch and guard perimeter players and then punish perimeter players inside so the only the only pushback I'll give you is is I I I think of a Gary for a name drop here Duster I was doing a zoom last year with Tom Izzo I was getting ready to do (laughs) Michigan State and Iowa And he made a comment about Garza. He goes, you know, Garza is one of those guys. He clearly came back to win a championship. And for some reason that line stuck with me. The second I saw Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels announced that they're coming back. Like, I think they're coming back because they have a sour taste in their mouth with how last year ended. I don't think they got to feel like they got to go, obviously, because Gillespie was hurt, swing for the fences with their full locked and loaded arsenal of players. So I just think when you have a combination of probably the best culture in college basketball with a very veteran experienced backcourt, I, I don't know. I, I also think they're one of those teams that we could be looking up and, and could be in the Elite Eight when it's all said and done. And, and who knows when you get to that stage of the season. But I can totally understand where you're coming from, Robin that maybe from a national perspective, they're they're maybe not in that top five preseason final four, Gonzaga, Texas, Kansas. UCLA type of caliber team on paper.
1: Fanta, where do you stand on Villanova?
3: Well, I'll tell a story that kind of furthers that point. I'm in the locker room at the 2018 National Championship postgame. And you get done talking with Jalen Brunson. You get done talking with Omari Spellman and Dante DiVincenzo. And you guys know, being in a crowded locker room, sometimes that leaves three or four guys that are just unattended to. And sometimes – you might be able to get a thought from them because you're the only one there. And they might give you something a little bit better because they haven't been talked to at all. And I went up to Colin Gillespie and uh, you know, I talked a a little bit with Jermaine Samuels that night. And you know what the thought was from them someday, what these guys are tonight, this will be us. This will be us. Like they were bringing that up actively that they observed a lot. They saw what it takes. And the plan was for it to be them when they're leading this team. And I, I do think that at Villanova, I think at a lot of other programs, that's kind of just talk. At Villanova, it's action. Like they, they really do have the culture that I think stands in a class of its own in this sport. To your point, does this team have to figure out how they're getting consistent complementary scoring? 100%. There's no question about it. Justin Moore needs to turn into a good player from a good player to a great player. Brandon Slater is a guy who needs to give them more consistency. And to Nick's point on the front court, they really don't have a guy that played Robinson Earl's role to now play that role in their offense this season.
1: What I think is going to be really interesting is if they can go to lineups where they basically have Jermaine Samuels. Play the five because, like, he's big enough and he's physical enough where if you play him out of position, he's not going to get overwhelmed by any of the big guys in the big East, right? It's not like there's any uh, unbelievable five men that are going to completely overwhelm. There's no Luca Garza's in this league. So you put Jermaine at the five and you get Brandon Slater out there, Justin Moore, Caleb Daniels. All of a sudden, you have a lot of guys that are versatile, that can guard different positions, that can switch. Villanova has no problem switching into mismatches, right? And when you have those kind of five perimeter oriented players, all of a sudden you become pretty difficult to guard. So I can kind of see that being something that would make sense. And at the end of the day, I mean, look, Nick, you don't want to bet against Villanova ever, right? That just seems like not a smart thing to do.
2: Yeah. And and I like your small ball idea because I think it, it first of all, it accentuates how they want to play. They are painfully simple. And I mean that in the most uh, respectful way you can imagine. They don't run anything exotic. You know, they're not running you know, elevator screens, pick the picker, curl, pop. Like they are pin down, get Samuels at the elbow, get out of his way. And then they are one of those teams that if you can't guard one-on-one, they are going to torture you. And if you put Samuels at the five, it's going to be really challenging for teams. And the other thing I think some teams get scared of and spooked out of playing small ball is anymore, to your point, Rob, outside of a Luka Garza teams don't want to come down, bog down their offense and try to take advantage of a perceived mismatch and throw it inside. Their offense comes to a grinding halt. They get stagnant. They break away from continuity and ball movement, those kinds of things. So I'm totally with you that I think a small ball lineup with Samuels at the five could bode great results for them. But there's no question that to me, that frontline question mark void of where Robinson Earl was at is a huge one that I, if you're looking for big questions for Nova, that's the biggest.
3: Yeah, but, but the thing about, uh, to your point that I, I just love, is watch a team before a game against Villanova prepare defensively for how they're going to guard Villanova. They really don't because you can't. Yeah. You can't because they're so painfully simple conceptually for an opposing team It's very difficult to have your scout team do what they do. It's all principle-based. It's all basketball fundamental-based, ball fakes, dribble, drive, and kick. You're not really running. You're not running 52. You're not running a horn set um, that that now a team is defensively getting ready for in a shoot-around. I mean, I have seen multiple Big East teams before their Villanova game practice, and Uh, I've seen some teams just work on themselves. I've seen some teams try to take us through what the Villanova offense is. And I've been more confused after they get done taking us through what the offense is. And if I'm confused, I'm wondering what the 18 to 21 year old kid is. So (laughs) there's so tough to prepare for. And you know what? It's just point guard you and Colin Gillespie is such a good game manager. And I keep bringing this example up and I think it really matters On Baylor's run to a national championship last year, who gives them the toughest test? It was Villanova. Villanova outplayed Baylor, outdid Baylor in every facet in the first half of that game. Baylor's talent ended up winning that basketball game and Villanova's lack of a true point guard down the stretch that could handle that stage. Now with that true point guard back, I'll tell you, you bring up Jermaine Samuels, Jermaine Samuels is the guy that could have 27 one night, but a quieter 10 the next. Can Jermaine Samuels be a guy now who is scoring 15 or 16 productively a game? If Jermaine Samuels is doing that, then you fill some of the void in your front court. And then you're talking about a team that can be a final four caliber one. One thing's for sure. We're going to find out rather soon just how good this team is because their non-conference schedule is as challenging as any team in America, with trips to UCLA and Baylor among others.
1: Yeah, Rob, not- let,
2: me ask, Rob let me ask you this real quick because you did all the you, your your draft stuff was really good, breaking down film and all that stuff. Who's the who is the pro on this team?
1: I, I don't I don't think there is one. That's I, one I, of my I, concerns. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if there is an NBA player. Like I, I loved, I, I thought JRE was gonna like he went way under draft. I thought he was probably like a top twenty prospect in terms of what he can do i just i don't know if there's an nba player on this roster and and to me like to your point that's the difference in 2018 they had what five pros 2016 they had four or five pros like i don't know if there's an nba player
2: right right so that's the concern the other thing as i i might as well if i'm going to be a name dropper i'll be a name dropper one more time then i'm done i promise no more
3: name drops don't, but, don't promise that. Don't. Promise. <laughs> but, but I think it. it,
1: hey, it listen, you can drop good. any names on the show you want. You just can't drop the name Grant Gibbs as long as we don't have Grant Gibbs on the show.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I could have yeah, swore you, know, you do, Nick. You do know that, that Jeff Goodman works for this
2: company. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I thought you thought you were gonna say you can't drop Jeff Goodman. I didn't know what I was expecting. <laughs> I was say you can't, can't drop thirteen Goodman.
3: names of podcasts. Go, go ahead.
2: Okay. <laughs> but Jay Wright told me, and I even like. Sometimes you get a a. a a comment from a coach and you got to follow up like let me show you I heard that right he said Colin Gillespie's the best leader he's ever had and I was like whoa you like I said hold on coach you mean like better than Archie Diacono better than Brunson better than those guys he was like yeah he he goes he just he, he thinks like a coach but he can relate it to the players so again yes the front line hole real one do they have a pro, a Bridges, a DiVincenzo, a Brunson, a Josh Hart? I don't know if I see that. But they got a hard, rocking, tough dude at point who Jay Wright says is the best leader he's ever coached. And that's like,
3: to me, that's like, that's saying something. Yeah. And, and I'll just add this. If you asked me to put 20 bucks right now, I don't know what the odds would be. Um, Jay Wright is 59. I could see Colin Gillespie coaching Villanova one day.
1: Hmm. Interesting. I
3: like
1: I yeah, like I like it too. All right, let's pivot. Let's move on to uh, what I think is probably the, the second biggest storyline for what could end up being the second best team in this conference, and that's, uh, that's UConn. Look, they're going to be great defensively. They have a ton of athletes up and down that roster. They're going to be able to give you different looks. Fanta, we have talked about this ad nauseum at this point. Where does UConn – get their scoring from if there's 10 seconds left on a shot clock in the game who are you giving the ball to how does that play break down like what what happens there Fanta what are you seeing
3: yeah this is a question that I asked Dan Hurley a couple of weeks ago and and he talked up the lead candidates to be those guys so Tyrese Martin the Rhode Island transfer he's framed up his body even more and he looks like someone that NBA draft scouts actually might want to start taking a look at because he does play that tweener position. He's versatile, and his perimeter game looks like it has improved. We'll see if that translates to game results. Tyrese Martin is certainly a candidate. R.J. Cole is going to be the leader of this backcourt, and R.J. Cole was a guy who was a bucket at Howard but had to play a different role for Connecticut last year. Big transition from Howard to UConn, but R.J. Cole looked the part last year, and he made some key plays for UConn on their journey. Remember James book spent a good period of time injured. So it's not like it's totally new for this team to be having to play without him, but that's not enough for me. You know, that that's not enough for me. UConn's best form of offense at times might be offensive rebounding. In fact, it probably will be. So for UConn to have late game success, we need to see Adama Sanogo be one of, if not the most improved player in the conference and you've got to see in different roles, Isaiah Whaley and Tyler Polly continue to be consistent, but also show that they can score the basketball. So I think that this Connecticut team is deep. I'm curious. I typically do not ever say this in the preseason about a team. I will never say, oh yeah, this freshman's going to have to hit big time shots for them. But because UConn is so deep and because they have so much length and because they have a setup man in Cole. It does make me wonder if a Jordan Hawkins, a four-star recruit, comes in here and is relied upon to hit a catch-and-shoot shot late in the game because he's surrounded by players that will help make up for different things. And even though he's a freshman, he still could make that shot for them. I think it's a musical chairs type of thing. Sometimes when people say if you have multiple quarterbacks and you're playing different quarterbacks and not just one, does it mean you just have two or three average guys? But I think UConn's deep enough where they actually could compensate for the loss of book night and have a couple of guys and do this by committee. One thing's for sure. I just don't see it being one guy hitting the big shot for them late in games, but sometimes that's okay that way, because it makes teams prepare for you and how they're going to guard you.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I think when I look at UConn, I think one of the first things you got to ask yourself when you're assessing a team is does the core of their roster still fit the identity of the way they want to play, like what they hang their hat on. And what UConn hangs their hat on with Dan Hurley is kick your ass on ball defense, physical. They're going to out-rebound you, as Fanta pointed out. They're going to crush you in the offensive glass. The core of their team fits that perfectly. In some ways, Booknight was the guy that didn't quite Fit that book Knight was, was he was a good defender but he wasn't necessarily i wouldn't consider him a junkyard dog guy like a tyree spartan like a like a whaley like rj cole those kinds of dudes so i think first of all you gotta like that um i wish i'd have checked i bet book Knight, did they end up playing just about as many games with book Knight as without a year I'll ago, that.
1: I'll check that right now. I think it was so he played 15 games and as a team they played 23 games so he missed eight games last
2: okay, season. Okay, so not not quite as much, but I think it's important and Fanta brought it up like the fact that they got eight games. In figuring out how to live without James Booknight makes a big difference. It's not going to be completely foreign. Where all of a sudden you're removing a guy that was your all your offense. I mean, I watched him score 40 against Creighton early in the year, and then you know they had to figure out a different way to play. And, it, and sometimes you can be too reliant on a guy, and it can make you lazy offensively. Uh, yes. Booknight will just go bail us out, get it, get the ball late in the clock, just get it to Booknight and go make a play. So I, while I do think the book night void is a real one. I mean, he's he's a lottery pick for a reason. I do think there's a lot to like about this group because they totally exemplify the way Darren Hurley wants to play. He's just going to have to piece together the offense a little bit. I think he's got some
1: pieces. Yeah, I think there's, I think there's two things that I, I want to point out here. One is that I think Hurley's system is going to be able to create easy shots for him off of turnovers, getting layups and kind of those pick six baskets uh, and off of offensive rebounds. I mean, we, we joke about it, but yes, at some point when you have that many good offensive rebounders and you just kind of lean in to, to get into get to the offensive glass, you can have success doing that at the college basketball level. We've seen it over and over again. Uh, the other thing that I want to say is um, Hurley's kind of like driven this point home during the offseason that, that after, uh, after R.J. got hurt against, I think it was with like five minutes left against Creighton, right? They, they weren't the same team without him. And I think what you could see is that uh, having that kind of point guard and that facilitator mattered more than not having that guy that you gave the ball to at the end of the clock, like a book night. So I think that Cole's role, just as a veteran leader and, and kind of making sure everything is organized, matters a lot um, as well. And the last thing I'll say is this. I don't think you have to have a guy that is just an ISO score to be able to create those those like uh, those shots with 10 seconds left. You can give the ball to a dominant pose. Like he's not bad down there. The other thing I think you could do is Tyler Pauly is really good at running off of screens. And if you yeah. could scheme ways to kind of get him running off of a staggered or get him coming off of a pin down or uh, try to run your offense around getting him an open look at the end of a clock, I think that that's something that makes a little bit of sense as well.
3: Yeah. And here's the other thing. So there's two sides to this. Number one, Tyler Polly, Isaiah Whaley coming back for this season. These are grown men. I mean, that's, that's why this college basketball season is going to be so special. You have some guys back for a fifth or a sixth year. They they are, they're grown men. Like they're, they're old enough to, uh, if they had the right woman in their life, they could have her walk down the aisle and wait on her. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here. It's, it's crazy. That's, that's what, we need to to think a little bit more like that this year. I mean, we can't be, they're not necessarily kids. Some of these guys that are back for a sixth year, they're, that's an adult right there. So, I, I digress. I think
1: the, Fanta the other side twenty seven weddings this summer, and all of a sudden, the only thing that he could think about is people getting married.
3: <laughs> yes, I'm trying to match make um, led the so nation in
2: weddings. Here, not Fanta.
3: <laughs> everybody's a leader in something. Um, I'll tell you. You know, the, here's the here's the other side, though, guys. So, a lot of people think that UConn is the second best team in the Big East. Um, I think they'll probably be picked there in the preseason poll. I think the coaches are going to do that, one, to put them there, two, to put pressure on Hurley because the coaches want to do that. Um, But I think that, like, when was the last time a team finished second in the Big East and didn't have an all-Big East first-teamer? Like, this team might actually not have one of the three or four best players in the league and they could be the second-best team. And so you talk about like with Villanova, who's going to the NBA from that team. With UConn, we don't exactly know what that picture looks like either, and we don't know if they're going to have one of the five best players in the league. So uh, maybe they still will win, and maybe they're just deep enough to do that. But I I think that's interesting that they could be the second-best team and not have one of the best players in the conference.
1: Before we move on, Let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at BetRivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up for BetRivers yet, now is the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their rush Pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, it's more secure, and it's more reliable. Now that basketball season is tipping off, get in on the action at BetRivers.com today or by downloading the Bet Rivers iOS app. You must be 21 years or older. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And while I got you here, let's talk about the Field of 68 Media Network, where college basketball matters most all year round. This is a digital media and podcast network that we've been building over the course of the last year. We have shows hosted by some of your favorite players covering the program that they love the most. A.J. Guyton hosts the House of Hoosier. Eric Devendorf covers Syracuse on the scorer's table. Dan Dickow hosts the Gonzaga Bulldog broadcast. We have Florida's Patrick Young and Duke's Andre Dawkins and North Carolina's Shimon Williams and Michigan's Stu Douglas and Illinois' Deion Thomas. The list goes on and on and on. We have more than 30 shows right now, so hit the links below and check them all out. And while you're at it, make sure that you go check out the Field of 12 Media Network, your home for college football. That's actually a perfect pivot to get to uh, another point that I want to make, which is Seton Hall, right? If we're talking about UConn as a team that is going to thrive on getting on the offensive glass, is going to thrive with having all this length and athleticism and defensive playmakers and guys that can force turnovers and, and can kind of win that way. How come we're not talking about Seton Hall that same way I mean if you look at their starting lineup right now if you're allowed Kadari Richmond who is uh six five with with basically a 12-foot wingspan Miles Cale who's 6'6 with a 12-foot wingspan Jared Roden who's 6'6 with a 12-foot wingspan you got the kid coming in from South Florida uh, Alexis Yetna who's six eight with a long wingspan you got Tyree Samuel who's 6'10 with a long wingspan you got Ike Obiagu who is basically nine feet tall standing in front of the rim like how are you going to score against Seton Hall and if we're talking about UConn being that good Nick, why aren't we talking about Seton Hall in that same way? Is it just because there's not that same kind of name brand association with the program?
2: Maybe a little bit. I also, and this is just me, I think in the half court, UConn's a better half court defense than Seton Hall is. Seton Hall runs a little bit of matchup zone where where they're, they're not necessarily matched up with a man. They'll kind of junk it up like that. So I guess when I think of great half court defenses, I think of UConn first, and not necessarily right away Seton Hall. But it's a good point. I mean, if you're talking about a disruptive lineup on paper, Seton Hall's checks all those boxes. I'm just concerned, and it's weird because you're right, Like, in, as you were saying that, I realized how hypocritical a lot of my talking points about UConn are with Seton Hall from the standpoint of I am a little concerned. For some reason, I'm more concerned with, U- with Seton Hall's ability to find a Batman lead scorer than I am UConn, even though maybe a guy like Roden and Kale are more suited on paper to be that guy. But I just, I look at Roden and Kale and I wonder, I think the big question is, are they, are they great complementary players when they're with Powell and with Mamu Kalashvili? Can they emerge into being the lead dogs? I don't know. The one thing I will say is I ask the same questions about Miles Powell when Isaiah Whitehead and Cadeen mm-hmm. Carrington and Desi Rodriguez and those boys left, I thought to myself, I'm not sure Powell can shoulder the load. What the hell was I talking about? Like that dude ended up being one of the best college scores over the last five years. And so maybe I'll be proven wrong. I just get concerned that Seton Hall has been kind of living in this world for two or three years where the, when you can just pencil in 20, like Powell can play terrible and have 20. Mamou can play bad and get you in 19 and eight. When you're living in that world and all of a sudden you can't do that, you better be damn good at disrupting, forcing turnovers, defensively, offensive rebounds, those kinds of muck it up points to supplement those things. So it'll be interesting. I think Seton Hall's got maybe the, the greatest variance in my estimation on where they could potentially finish in the conference. You could tell me at the end of the year, they're, they're third or fourth. I'd buy it. You could tell me they never get the offense figured out and they struggle and I I think I'd maybe buy it.
3: Yeah, I could not agree with you more on that and I think that uh, the only area that I disagree with, I I totally agree with as high as third or fourth, as low as the sixth or seventh, you could say that about a, a good number of teams in this conference, which I'm sure we'll get to. Jared Roden though, provided some evidence that He could be ready to be this star. The only thing is, you're playing alongside Mamu Kelashvili, who's garnering more defensive attention. Now you're not. But in five of the final eight games last season for Seton Hall, Jared Roden scored 16-plus points. In the last five games of the season, he averaged nearly 17 points per game. And in the Big East tournament, he had a star-is-born type of performance against St. John's, where he goes for 19 points and 16 rebounds and quite literally against the local rival in a game that everybody thought St. John's was probably going to win because Seton Hall was sort of licking their wounds heading into the Big East Tournament. Jared Roden says, we are not losing this game, and I'm going to put my team on my back, and we're going to win this game. He practically has an eight-pack. He's built up his body. I think that he is ready to be that star. Where I had the question about Seton Hall is, on the offensive end of the floor, number one, who is your point guard? Who is your point guard? So, Kadari Richmond is the guy that they think is going to be the point guard. And, and, and the starting point guard. There's a lot of people that are high on Kadari Richmond and think that he could be, be someone that ends up getting pro looks, not this year, but down the road. But Kadari Richmond has to prove it. You're a transfer for a reason. Um, You come into this program now, you got something to prove. You are a New York City kid. Kevin Willard has seemingly developed really good point guards through the years, whether it be a Quincy McKnight, even a Madison Jones, guys that have transferred into the program and he's made better. Bryce Aiken, huge question mark. Because he's been more injured than he has been healthy. So if you're counting on Bryce Aiken, it's hard to rely on that. They bring in an American transfer in Jameer Harris, who should shoot the basketball for them. Provides them some perimeter play, but for Seton Hall, you know, you brought up Obiagu, Yetna, and Samuel. Those guys aren't necessarily great on the offensive end of the floor. Like they're not going to give you a lot of buckets. This team is disrupted defensively in the front court. They need to hash out. They have guys like they have a room that's full of different guys uh, in their backcourt. They have to hash out the, what their best seven-man rotation is, and I think that that's the key to finding out how good you are. Sometimes if you're playing eight or nine, it means that you have some more question marks on your team than you have answers and you're still playing it around. Look, Kevin Willard is a good ball coach, makes things work with this program. And I think Roden is ready to be the star of this team. I just wonder who's getting him the basketball on a consistent basis because last year Seton Hall's point guard play is the reason why they ended up not making the NCAA tournament. They had to give Sandro and Jared Roden the ball and just say, go do it. And that's why Creighton came back on them at the Prudential Center from 16 points down and beat them. And Seton Hall, that that loss demoralized them. If they have point guard play, I think this team could be third or fourth and will be an NCAA tournament team. But that falls on the Syracuse transfer, Kadari Richmond, at least in my mind.
1: Yeah, I think it's partially Kadari and partially going to be whether or not one of Jameer Harris or Bryce Aiken can kind of be like a microwave score off the bench. If you just have someone that can come in and give you a different look, giving you a different change of pace, that can get you 10, 11, 12 points a game um, playing 18 minutes, I think that's something that would be really, really big. I don't know if either of those guys are up to it. I don't know if Bryce is ever going to be healthy enough to do it, uh, but I do think that matters.
3: One thing, one thing, I, I do think that this needs to get brought up. You bring up some questions Like for Seton Hall, let's look at it this way. At Michigan, Ohio State down in Florida, either California or Florida down in Florida in Fort Myers, Texas, Rutgers, Yale, Iona. I mean, even the the lesser degree non-conference games are fairly difficult. This is a really, really, really hard non-conference schedule. Like, you go to Michigan and you host Texas, those two alone I'd be like, okay, you're good, but in my book. But then they pack together these other schools. they got to play Texas and Rutgers. Those two games are in a span of four days. And you know the Rutgers game, that's a a big game over there. So, man, like with the questions they do have to answer, even Kevin Willard admitted it a couple weeks ago. He's like, I might have scheduled a little too hard. I, I um, would rather schedule two hard, two easy. Never,
1: you can never. We need. We need those matchups, man. We need those matchups early in the season. It's never. It's never too. Hard. Right, but when you have
3: when you have things to solve, you don't. You don't want it to end up sending you down a shoot when sometimes you just need to win a ball game.
1: All right, so let me ask you this, Nick. Um, we kind of we have talked to talk Seton Hall, villain over to death. I think that there are probably five teams that are kind of in that conversation for the top five in the Big East. The other two are Xavier and St. John's. And it feels like this is the year for both of those programs, right? Mike Anderson has Pasha Alexander back. He has Julian Champagne back. He brought in uh, a a whole bunch of pieces from the transfer portal that looked like they really kind of fit the identity of what he wants his program to be. At the same time, Travis Steele, they had so many stoppages. It was very hard to kind of properly judge what happened at Xavier last season but you get Paul Scruggs back you got Fremantle there Uh, I mean they're deep they got shooters they got scores they got big guys off the bench it feels like they could play 11 different guys for both of those programs it feels like this is kind of the year where it's like okay let's let's see what you guys got Travis Steele are you for real Mike Anderson are you going to be able to get this thing going to St. John's am I wrong there
2: no I mean I think those two teams on paper right now there's a lot to like about both of them and I I look at them both as NCAA tournament teams. And in a lot of ways, when you look at Xavier, especially when you look at at their roster, they return 81% of their minutes, which is the third highest of all high major schools. To me, it should be not a question of if they make the tournament, it should be, can they win a game or two in the NCAA tournament? And, And you brought up all the stoppages last year, really disrupted some things. And then when Nate Johnson got hurt towards the end of the season, it really hurt them because Scruggs and Fremantle need some space inside and Nate Johnson was fourth nationally in, in three point percentage. And so he's a really important piece. They also went in the transfer market and picked up two pretty good players and Jerome Hunter from Indiana and Jack Nungy from Iowa. It'd be interesting to see how healthy Nungy is because he hurt his knee towards the end of last year, but I've Nungy's a really good player. So It is a big year, though, for Xavier and Travis Steele. I mean, four years ago, they were a one seed and won the Big East. Then they go to the NIT. Then in 2020, COVID cancels the NCAA tournament. And then they missed the NCAA tournament last year. Like, it's time to get back to where Xavier should be. That's a hell of a program there. And I like their team on paper a lot. And I'm right there with you with St. John's. I mean... Is this going to be the first year that St. John's wins a tournament game since the year 2000? I mean, they went in 2019, they lost in the first four. In 2015, they went to the NCAA tournament, lost in the first round. Uh, I think they got arguably – not arguably, I think they got the best two-man combination in the conference in Posh Alexander and Julian Champagny. And this is something I was thinking about this morning. I think St. John's having fans in the stands – is oh, going to make yeah. a huge difference for the Red Storm in that press. I'm going to tell you right now, the first thing that goes when you're on the road in front of a hostile crowd is decision making. And when you're getting full court pressed, imagine Posh Alexander picking you up 93 feet from the hoop, and the place is rocking. Like you, you better be rock solid with the ball. So I think St. John's is a team that's poised to get a big boost from. Fans being back in the stands, I rob. I think both these teams are NCAA tournament teams. I really believe that.
1: So, you want to hear a crazy stat? Ron Artest has had three different names since he left St. John's. St. John's has won one NCAA tournament game since he left St. John's. That's oh my god, that's not that's not not ideal. Not ideal. Where do you where do you stand on these two teams?
3: Okay, so I'm feeling bullish Uh as we do this podcast this morning in the central time zone and a little early afternoon in the eastern time zone to nick boz point there is no reason no reason why st john's basketball should not be back in the big east tournament semifinal friday night which it's been years since they've been in that because again they have a home court advantage in their conference tournament and i will pick st john's right now to win the big east tournament at Madison Square Garden next March. I'll go bullish because it is a home game. Uh, they, they actually match up quite well with Villanova, if I do say so myself. Last year, they beat Villanova down at Cardaseca Arena. And why? Because I think they have a player who is the guy to change the way you think about the program. No, it's not Champagny. It's actually Posh Alexander. First defensive player and freshman of the year since Allen Iverson in the big East to win both those awards in the same season. And I got to tell you guys, I was talking with an NBA scout who I have a ton of respect for. Like I, I think his opinion is outstanding. And I, he was asked earlier this week by someone other than me in a conversation who he thought was the best player in the big East. And he mentioned Posh Alexander's name in the answer, like second or third, just him mentioning that name for a kid as small as Posh is shows you how vital Posh is to the equation. That press defense and posh, a New York City kid with the Italian-American community that is New York City coming over and brooding on the Johnnies, it it really makes for an equation that should be successful. This is the year for St. John's to make the NCAA tournament and exactly win a game or two. They added, they brought in Montez Mathis. They brought in Steph Smith, a transfer who's going to give them offense. They brought in a Purdue transfer and Aaron Wheeler- who, while he didn't play a ton, he knows what it looks like to win. And you know what? What, what do I always say about transfers? And what, do, what does our guy uh, Terrence Oglesby say? Who were you coached by? He was mm-hmm. coached by Matt Payner. Like, that matters when now you're coming into St. John's. Aaron Wheeler got good coaching. The Johnny need to put it together this year. I would pick them second in the Big East because of the star power. I think it's it's time for them to really turn a corner. And I think Mike Anderson does not have nearly as much pressure on himself. He's the reigning Big East coach of the year. He's proven he can coach. So that's my thought on St. John's, my thought on Xavier, Travis Steele. One thing I, I do like about Travis Steele is he's real. He's a real, he gives you the the point blank answer, the candid answer. And talking with him last week for our field of 68 preview series, Travis Steele looked at me and he said, we better put it together this year. He knows the pressure's on him and his coaching staff to get this right. And to get this program back on track they have been synonymous with the NCAA tournament. They had gone to like 15 out of 17, haven't been back since. If they're going to get back, um, I think that they have to be more physical down low. And that's where Nungi and Hunter come in. They've been soft in the paint. They bring those guys in, Big Ten guys. And I will tell you right now, I'm hearing out of Cincinnati these things here in the last week. Everybody thinks it's Paul Scruggs and then it's Zach Fremantle. This is nothing against Zach Freemantle at all. Xavier has found another killer guard and his name is Colby Jones and I am hearing from the Xavier staff I'm hearing from people around that program even some of the writers uh, the Cincinnati Inquirer guys Colby Jones is going to be an absolute stud he's remade his body he's a shooter he fits the Xavier brand watch out for Colby Jones to be an all big East selection. I don't think he'll be honored in the preseason. I do think he'll be honored in the postseason. and Xavier needs to make the NCAA tournament. It is imperative this year. I think they'll find a way there.
1: Yeah. The one thing about Xavier coaches that you, you always have success there, right? Whether it's Thad Motter or Chris Mack, you know, that that's that coaching tree has been great. And we haven't seen that out of uh, Travis Steele yet. That's not to say that he can't do it. It's just, you know, it's been, it's been kind of a slow grind uh, building that program up. All right, let's talk a little bit about the power rankings. We, we mentioned the, the top five teams in this league. Uh, Nick, how do, you, how do you see them shaking out? It's probably Villanova at, at number one, right? I'm assuming that's what you're going to have there. Two through yeah. five seems like it's going to be the kind of situation where uh, you have five teams that kind of end up in that, you know, 13 to seven range and uh, kind of parsing it out is going to be difficult. How would you rank them heading into the season?
2: Well, first of all, real quick, I do have Villanova on top, but I look at it as, to me, there are four teams, that if you want to put in the in the first tier, I think there are four teams there in, in Nova, Xavier, St. John's, and UConn. Then I think there's another tier, and that's your Providence, Butler, Seton Hall, Creighton, where that's the most, to me, jumbled up mix, that second tier. But I got Nova at, at one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Xavier at two. I, I really like this team on paper. Um, Again, I brought up the stat, 81% of the minutes returning, uh, third best at at a high major teams. I think Paul Scruggs is going to have a great year. Fremantle came on, Colby Jones, uh, Fanta pointed it out. He was going to start as a freshman and be a big time player, but he was in COVID protocol to start the year. Uh, Nate Johnson being back is huge. So I got them at two. I got St. John's at three because I think they got the best one-two combination in the conference and Posh Alexander and Julian Champagny and that you look at Mike Anderson, how about the fact that 20 years, no losing record, 20 years, no losing record. Like he's kind of an, uh, when, when you, when everybody sits around and have some beers with some buddies and they start naming good coaches, like he isn't necessarily one of the names that comes up, but the dude's pretty consistent. And I think this team is, is, is legit. I think they're going to go to the NCAA tournament. I got them third. And then I got UConn fourth. The only reason I slid them down is, just I want to see how they kind of fill that that scoring void with with Booknight, but I certainly like UConn. I could see them finishing second. And then fifth, I'm going to go with Butler. Interesting. I, I'm going to go with Butler. I'm concerned because I don't know if they have that top-end talent that we keep on talking about, even in the midst of all of the kind of – sometimes Butler's branded as kind of like this little engine that could – Yeah, Gordon Hayward, Shelvin Mack, Matt Howard was a baller. Keelan Martin's a baller. Kamar Baldwin was a baller. Oh, my God, was he a baller? I mean, you you look at those guys. Those guys are pros. They're big-time players. I don't know if I see one of those guys on this roster. Could it be Chuck Harris? Could one of those guys emerge? Maybe. But when you look at Butler, the way they win is with continuity and tangibles and culture. That's how they win. All those ingredients are there. 97% of their scoring is back. They were have six guys that are taking advantage of that super senior year. They have a ton of continuity on paper that I like a lot. I think that's gonna I, that gave me the nudge to them to get them up there at that fifth spot. So I'll throw them at five.
3: Wow. Wow, I'm with you. I'm I mean, we were discussing over the summer. I I we were texting each other back and forth and um, I could not, uh, I, I'm with you on that, but I just think that Butler is a fascinating team. This is where we could use, we, we really could use like a Steve Lavin drop in here because uh, he loves a little engine that could like hearts to the whole, uh, all those, all those types of sayings with Butler. They're like the one program in the league where, where if, if you don't think they have the, the star power, first off, that's, that's unfair. But second off, um, they, they do kind of make up for it in how they play. Um, they kind of remind me principally, if that's a word of the Virginia of the big East, because they, they just, they're going to defend, they're going to rebound. You are going to be in a two or three possession game with them. You can never count that program out of a game. Like last year, they're down by double digits to Creighton at home with a young team, inexperienced team. They win the game. I, I think you were on that game. There. Yeah. Um, unbelievable comeback. I think Laval Jordan's kind of underrated too, Um, and I think we're going to start to see that here again this year. They just bring back so much. I would go Villanova one. I'd go St. John's two because of the dynamic duo of Champagne and Alexander. I know I have high expectations for St. John's, but I'm believing in what what I'm seeing. Xavier three. UConn is back to four for me, and I feel weird about saying that. I'm probably in the minority, but I'm just wondering about the offensive end of the floor for them. And then five is just a total dogfight in who stands in there. I could see Seton Hall being right there. I think Roden is, between Butler and Seton Hall, is probably the best player of those two teams. And I think their length could give them a slight edge. But, man, Butler has such a home court advantage. They could beat anybody on that floor. They literally could. I mean, you know, when you walk into Hinkle Fieldhouse, Nick knows this so well. You are probably going to see something that you haven't seen before in the game because it's just a—it is truly a place that there's no metrics for this, but it's a magical place. And with everything they have coming back, and Mr. Chuck Harris, who I think is going to be a baller, uh, if Chuck Harris is hitting big time shots for this team down the stretch, then that's the—that's the key to the equation there for the Bulldogs to be a factor. They're—they're they're the team that everybody's sleeping on heading into this year, the Butler Bulldogs, because they don't carry the sexiness even though they probably
1: should. So I, I agree with you guys in the the sense that there's kind of that first and second tier. I would put Villanova in their own tier. Uh, I just think that they're kind of above everybody else in the league. Uh, then I think it's UConn, Seton Hall, Xavier, and St. John's is kind of that like two through five range. Um, I would probably have Seton Hall second, UConn third, uh, St. John's fourth, and then Xavier, um, Xavier fifth. I, I really like what this Seton Hall team is. It feels like, this is kind of back to what their identity was, and uh, those those best teams where they're they're going to win the fight first, and then they're going to worry about winning the game. And That's kind of what I think this this roster is. We've touched on Butler being the team that you guys think can break through. Um, so I would not be surprised to see five or six tournament teams out of the Big East. Let me ask you guys this: We got Providence, we got Creighton, and we got Marquette. All due respect to Georgetown, and all due respect to DePaul. They're probably not in the conversation for tournament birth this year. But out of Providence, Creighton, and Marquette. Who do you guys think can uh, be the surprise team? If someone's going to be a sleeper to step up, finish top three in the league, make a run to the NCAA tournament, Nick, who do you see out of those three teams?
2: Well, uh, it, it's tough. Uh, I'm, you could just label me a homer, I guess, as the former Creighton Blue Jay, but I, I think I'd give the nod to Creighton in that equation. I'm not sure Marquette has the roster yet to fit exactly how Shaka Smart wants to play. feels like a little bit of transition year. Um, there's a big question mark in the backcourt for Providence right now. I think with Creighton, they're a team that by the end of the season, by late January into February, when, when they start figuring out their rotation and get those freshmen, which was a, you know, the best recruiting class in Creighton history, a, a top five, top 10 class, depending on how you look at it, I think this is a Creighton team. By the end of the year, that is a team that is going to be dangerous. Whether that leads to a NCAA tournament berth, I'm not totally sure. If I had to peg a guy or peg a team out of that crop that Doster threw out there, I'd I'd pick Creighton. And you know, talking to some of the coaches at Creighton, they are loving Ryan Nemhard. R.J. Demhard's little brother. If you'd watch him in the FIBA games for for the Canadian team, he is awesome. Think of he's kind of like Zegorowski in ball screens, just smart, makes all the right reads. Uh, Arthur Kaluma is a top 60 recruit at that four spot, three, four spot that's gonna be really good. And remember the name Ryan Hawkins. He's a Division II transfer from Northwest Missouri State. He won a couple of national championships. He's like 124-7 and seven is his record in Division II. <laughs> like, this dude, had, and we've seen, like, you used to kind of roll your eyes at D2 guys going up in D1, but we've seen, whether it's a Max Struess, a Zach Hankins, a Duncan Robinson made the jump from D3 all the way to $50 million contracts in the NBA. I'm not saying he's that, but I'm just saying, like, Good players can make that jump, and the coaches are loving Ryan Hawkins. They can play him at a small ball five. He can play the four. So he's a guy that I'd keep an eye on. But long answer to a to a short question, Rob, I'd pick Creighton out of that group, although Creighton's one of those teams that there could be some growing pains this season as they lost five starters on a team that went to
1: the Sweet 16. Yeah, fan, the, oh, I'm sorry. The, the, the Creighton team is the one where I'm kind of like, yeah, they're going to be my sleeper in 2023. Right. It's yeah. just yeah. <laughs> there's going to be it feels like there's going to be some growing pains there. But the one thing I, I will give you credit for is, I mean, look, they're going to have what, three or four fifth year seniors on that roster. There's there's new faces and there's going to be new playing together. But you have a lot of guys that played uh, played a lot of college basketball. And, and look, you got a guy, Alex O'Connell from Duke. You mentioned Ryan Hawkins. There are some uh, winning pedigree on that roster. Fanta, who is your sleeper?
3: Okay, so to Nick's point on Creighton, when you are as great of an offensive coach as Greg McDermott is, your best defense at times is your offense in the way that you create possessions, you create tempo. And I think that that's why such a new look team still can fit and a talented one at that. Guys that are getting international experience over the summer like Ryan Nemhart's ready for this level. Arthur Kaluma's ready for this level. I think Ryan Kalkbrenner, the sophomore, is going to take the next step in his career and is a guy that's a mobile big that, that Greg McDermott, I think, is going to – and his staff will develop. Um, I, would, I would probably go in the direction of Providence a little bit more because of the fact that you do have a top 10 center in college basketball in Nate Watson – I mean, Watson creates such a matchup problem if he's staying out of foul trouble because you have to – you cannot leave him, and you, you have to put some pressure on him because he knows how to finish. He, he does know how to finish with the right hand. He can slam it. They're going to run – they're, they're going to go extra flex this year. Cooley's going to go back to some of his principles. And I talked with some, with some Providence folks. They said this team fits Ed Cooley's identity more. Providence's defensive metrics last year were horrible. Horrible by their standards. They are such a better program on the defensive end, or at least they have them. Al Durham coming in from Indiana, good ad. If Jared Bynum stays healthy, remember what happens when Luan Pipkins was playing was healthy and then playing well down the stretch? We saw what Providence is with a point guard. If Bynum's healthy and if AJ Reeves, it's a huge if, but man, Could that kid finally put something together like we saw when he was a freshman? I think Providence has a little bit more of, I'm going to err on the side of experience on this answer. Providence has more experience. I think Noah Hortzler will help them as well, uh, a transfer at the four, but I want to close with this on this discussion. I was at Marquette practice yesterday. I do not think that they are ready to win now. Um, I just don't think they have enough. But Jaka Smart is 44 years old. He walks into practice. He's running in place. His team runs into the gym. They went from zero to 150. They stayed at that level for two hours. Havoc. Havoc light is happening in Milwaukee. It's back. Jaka Smart was not able to do what he wants to do as a coach because Texas had him recruiting players that were not going to play that way. It, it, that, the, the way that Shaka coached at VCU and the way that you're supposed to coach at Texas are two totally different things. Marquette's kind of an in-between. And I, I really think, t- watching them practice, that Shaka Smart has found his fit in his career. I, Marquette I agree. Is his. I'm high on this program going forward. I see a lot of possibilities. And I think with Steve Wojciechowski, you never knew what Marquette truly wanted to be. That is not the case when you sit down inside this practice. Not, not this year. They're going to pick off a couple of teams because they play at a tough place to play. But if I were to pick between Marquette, Creighton, and Providence, and this might be a, a strange take because Creighton's been so consistently good. Marquette is the middle... Big East team that I think has the most upside going forward remember in the last decade this program has still been to the end it's just been eight years since they've been there I loved what I saw in terms of a DNA I think Shaka Smart is I'm buying stock in Shaka returning uh, near the top of when you think about coaches across college basketball I really liked what I saw
1: yeah I I agree wholeheartedly I I think Look, he's he's a guy that builds a program and builds a culture, and you can't do that at Texas when you have everybody coming in ready to be a one-and-done. You can't get guys that are expecting to be in the NBA in two years to buy into to pressing and playing that style. It just, it's a better fit for him at, at, at Marquette, and I'm, I'm expecting him to kind of uh, – I don't know if, the, if it's going to turn Marquette into a top-10 team, but I think that they're going to be a consistent tournament contender, and it's a good thing for the conference as a whole. All right, let's talk about – preseason player of the year and your all League teams. And then we can get out of here. Nick, uh, is there any reason why I shouldn't be giving the player, the, the biggest player of the year award to Colin Gillespie?
2: I don't think so. Uh, he's the guy. Uh, he's, he's the best and most important player on the best team uh, to your point. I mean, you put him in Villanova and a tier on their own. And I think that's probably the more accurate way to put it. So no. I, I mean, are there other good players? Absolutely. Julian Champagny, Posh Alexander, Fremantle, Watson, Scruggs. Like you just go down the list. There's a lot of dudes that you could make an argument for, but you're really, I think you're really stretching it. If you're not labeling Colin Gillespie as the player of the year, the kid's a warrior, man. He, he is the easy selection to me, at least right now as the player of the year heading into the end of the year.
1: Fanta, you disagree?
3: I, I don't disagree at all. I think it's, it's fairly simple. Uh, I do think it's going to be interesting to see, like, who would be the fifth or sixth. It's technically a 16 team, first team. I think that's where we start the debate. I, I know, I know. I, that's where we start debates on, like, who would be our top five players in the Big East. I think there's a big, you know, discrepancy there. Who's fifth and who's sixth. There's really not much of a gap there.
1: So who would you have on your preseason first team?
3: Yeah, so I mean, I would go with if let's let's make it five members, I guess, yes, out of the, out it, of that. But we're
1: we're gonna pretend this is a normal world, and we're gonna have uh, five people on the first team, all American team.
3: Okay, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, Colin Gillespie is uh, my point guard, best player here. Uh, Julian Champagne, conference leading scorer last year, he deserves to be on the preseason first team. <sighs> it, then. It, it really turns into an interesting debate because you, you know, you could go Alexander. You could even consider Jermaine Samuels. I'll go with Paul Scruggs on my conference first team. I think Paul Scruggs is ready to be that it's now or never for him. Um, then I probably go with, with Jared Roden um, from Seton hall. And then I'd probably round it out with, with Nate Watson. Uh, but I'm thinking about Jermaine Samuels. I'm thinking about Posh Alexander um, I'll give Watson, though I think he could follow the second team, you could see one of those other guys higher.
1: there. Yeah, I think the only argument against Watson on the first team is if you don't think Providence is going to win enough. In my mind, winning has got to be the most important stat when it comes to this. And if you finish below 500 and you're like eighth in the Big East, I don't know if I can put you on uh, first team all conference. So that would be the only argument for me against him. I think there's really – to me, there's six guys in the conversation, Nick, Gillespie's the player of the year. Then I think you go Scruggs, Posh Alexander, Jermaine Samuels, Julian Champagny, and Nate Watson. And it's however you can kind of see them, uh, however you want to put it together. It's kind of you know some people like vanilla ice cream, some people like uh, strawberry ice cream, some people yeah. like chocolate ice cream. But whatever whatever flavor uh, you like best, who do you have on your first team?
2: Yeah, you you're like in my mind. Rob, uh, because I, I have Nate Watson on my first team, but I don't know if Providence is going to finish high enough to justify that. I just think he he's the best five man in the conference. So it's just hard to leave him off it if you need to find a legitimate big to put on your, on your first team all conference team. So I'm going to put Nate Watson on it. I already told you, Colin Gillespie. I'm going to go with Julian Champagny. Obviously, I think there are two locks in Gillespie and Champagny. I mean, those two guys have to be on it. I'm going to go with Paul Scruggs. I uh, thought he had a great year. If you look at his assisted turnover numbers, he made an enormous jump last year in in that area. I, I think Scruggs is a is a pretty underrated player, and I'm going Posh, baby. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna drink the Posh Kool Aid. I know it sounds weird to have two St. John's guys uh, on, on the first team, but they deserve it. They deserve it, man. I mean, Posh Alexander is a stud. So th- those will be my five
1: if there's one guy that i can see kind of making a jump from not really in the conversation to being somebody kind of in, on that 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 first team level it's probably going to be chuck harris right if if butler ends up being as good as you guys think that they're going to be if they're going to be in that conversation for uh, a tournament berth top 5 in the big east i think it's probably going to be because we see chuck harris kind of take a step forward and if he does i mean they are he could be in that conversation. It's, there's a lot of good guards in this league, but he's a guy that I think can kind of be the player that makes that leap. Either you guys disagree, or you see someone else that can kind of sneak onto that, uh, sneak into the picture there.
2: No, I think I think that's a good call, especially you know with with the potential that Butler could have, uh, and if if they reach that potential, Chuck Harris balled out. You know what I mean? So if you're betting on Butler, it's a good bet to bet on Chuck Harris because he's the most obvious guy to to make that leap. I'm going to go a different direction in terms of a breakout player. I don't think this guy could become a first teamer because I just don't know if they're going to, this team's going to win enough, but the breakout player to me in the conference is going to be Justin Lewis at Marquette. I think that oh, guy is a star. I mean, he, he. he played behind Dawson Garcia and Theo John. He, he got hurt in the middle of the year. Like this dude is awesome. Like Justin Lewis was one of my favorite players to watch in the league. He had the tip end at the buzzer to beat Wisconsin last year. Uh, He's the dude that I think is going to be like when a Fox promo is like, you know, Providence comes to Milwaukee to take on Justin Lewis and the Marquette golden Eagles. Like that's, that's the kind of branding. I think you're going to get. I think Lewis is the dude that's going to make a big leap this year.
3: Yeah, I I agree. He has remade his body too. Had a long form interview with him earlier this week and the kid is ready to be a leader. He's getting coached harder now, too. Shaka Smart is on him. I think he fits this defensive pressure, high-tempo type situation. And he's a guy that pro scouts should be starting to look at. Like, if Justin Lewis is knocking down perimeter shots, he fits the NBA mold down the road because his body, like as a freshman last year, my goodness, did he did he look fascinating just to be able to make the, the little plays that he did. He really helped winning. At Marquette, when they were winning ball games, he was a huge reason for it. He got nicked up during the season. They ended up really struggling without him, particularly on the defensive end. So Justin Lewis is a great candidate for that. I I think that when you look around the league as well, Colby Jones at Xavier needs to be brought up again for a guy that could really be a breakout star. He's on a deep team, but if Xavier's going to be two in the Big East, Colby Jones needs to help Paul Scruggs in that backcourt and be consistent, and I think he's a playmaker. I think Kobe Jones is a playmaker. And then I I go back to UConn. Like if UConn's winning ball games, the guy that fits the mold that's a good player is Tyrese Martin. I mean, Tyrese Martin had some games last year where he really made a difference down the stretch. He made big time shots. So those will be a couple of guys. I know I picked three right there that, that I think are interesting, but seeing Justin Lewis practice yesterday, whew, I was really, really, really impressed. I don't know how you go about guarding him because of just how versatile he is you got to have the right guy on him you might have to put a guard on him at times
1: well listen guys I've kept you here for an hour that was longer than I told you I was going to keep you here so I appreciate the time if you're still listening to this this is the best Biggie's preview we're going to get nobody knows the conference better than the one and only John Fanta and our guy Nick Baugh thank you gentlemen for being here
2: you got it Rob